It's episode 35 of the Celtics Boy Podcast, the Banners Broadcast. And now we feature none other than one of the greatest Celtics writers that's ever been. Or, you know, not. I don't know. <laughs> a Celtics writer. He is a Celtics writer. And he comes hey. from Celtics Hub, and now he you can call him a writer for Celtics Boy because he's on the team, and that means he's on the podcast. He's Sam Sheehan. Bobby, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to disappoint everyone, but uh, we're gonna keep we're, we're gonna keep it nice and loose. I feel like I feel like this is gonna be a fun fun podcast. So while Sam gets his vocals ready, sipping on his tea or whatever he's there, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I, I gotta do. say. This this show is gonna strike a different tone than the one we had last week with Jimmy Toscano. We were waving the flag, shutting the series down. Toscano must have given it like a you know five percent chance of becoming a series again, and all we were asking is what's wrong with the Bucks. So now we're going to flip it back the other way and say, what happened to the Celtics? Because they got into one of those strings between games three and the early portion of game four that we saw last year in the Wizards series, and then of course back in that previous playoff run where there'd be massive stretches where this team can't put the ball in the net. Dr. Sheehan, give it a diagnosis. Um, I really think it, like, begins and kind of ends with turnovers. I I mean, I hate to, like, bring it back to that because that's kind of boring. That was everyone's, you know, diagnosis before the series. But if you look at the last two games, that's really kind of what's been, I I don't know, jumping out at me. Um, I have something, a piece coming out tomorrow. I don't want to spoil it too much, but I'm kind of addressing this turnover problem and you know namely some of these deep bench guys like um morris and greg monroe um some of these guys have had real turnover problems and it's really hurt the celtics in the long run because you cannot um you, you know the bucks are just so lethal in transition particularly Giannis. you know if he he's leaking out every chance he gets um and so it doesn't even necessarily need to be turnovers things like blocked shots um broken plays like that um the bucks are running on those possessions and they're getting these high percentage looks at the rim um if you look at the celtics kind of over the course of the series they're actually like pretty middle of the road in terms of like playoff teams to upper end when it comes to the offensive efficiency which seems insane given the rock fights we we saw like in milwaukee but it's really the defensive efficiency that's really killed the celtics they're uh the only they're the worst playoff team that's still alive the only team that had a worse defensive efficiency in the playoffs is uh, the trailblazers who have already gone home and are are done their exit interviews and everything like that so to see the celtics just um you know i think that turnovers are you know kind of creating this defensive problems that and they're also just so deflating and it can be so hard to get back into your offense so hopefully the home crowd can kind of re-energize the celtics and kind of get them back on the right page as far as that stuff's concerned and they're not turnovers but the block shots have been insane Mm -hmm. just the sheer volume of them and steven's talking about after game three that once you get in that hole a lot of his players have been starting to force the issue and that creates even more block shots even more turnovers it's just kind of the spiral effect and when we're talking adjustments the bucks have made them they went down the bench to thon maker who wasn't playing at all toward Uh the end of the regular season and even into the postseason. And now Giannis is calling them the game changer in the series. And I actually did add in a piece after game three, too. His emergence and Jabari Parker's, too, to a higher degree because he's given them more offense than Maker is, 
has sort of made the Bucks who we all thought they could have been back under mm-hmm. Jason Kidd, just this disruptive menace that has really torn the Celtics apart. Like, I don't even recognize mm-hmm. the Celtics right now. Look how good this team was defensively all year. And then offense mm-hmm. came and go, but early in the series, they looked like they were going to get whatever they wanted against this Bucks defense, and now it's just the complete opposite. So I think the Bucks finding themselves has done as much as anything to throw the Celtics off. Yeah. I mean, I, and, you know, you got to get credit where credit. I was, I, I made a joke today on Twitter that, you know, the Celtics have had, you know, five really Im- important injuries that really went against them. And it was, uh, you know, Marcus Smart, Kyrie Irving, <laughs> Gordon Hayward, Daniel Tyson, uh, John Henson. Yeah. <laughs> Just because, you know, it, it's kind of allowed Milwaukee to sort of, you know, find, a better rotation for themselves, you know, Brogdon coming back. I mean, the Bucks also got healthy um, at the right time, which the Celtics did not, you know, they're getting Brogdon back. Um, Della Vadova in fits and spurts. I mean, he won the game for them in game four, uh, you know, on that Marcus Moore, you know, with that disruptive little Marcus Morris, those two points ended up being the game at that end of first quarter, Yeah. Um, you know, things. So, you know, things like that have been, you know, helpful and it kind of, you know, it nullifies that, um, you know, that coaching advantage that the Celtics have. I, you know, I would like to, you know, credit where credit is due, though. It's really impressive to see Thon McCurr out there. You know, 38-year-old guys like that being able to jump. It's really <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> I said or said before the show we weren't going to do that, but you went and did it. <laughs> so, well, I, uh, I mean, I'm This sorry, isn't the Celtics crazy. post-game show. We have standards 20, around here. Okay, 20, he's 29. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's pull it back and talk about rotations because the Celtics, I mean, can you do the math right now? 11 players, I don't even know how many possible rotations there are, but it seems like there's two. And they're pretty much going between big ball and small ball at this point. And big, yeah, I'm, I'm labeling it big ball. I don't think it's going to catch on, but that's what they were rolling with early in the series. Yeah. And against the smaller lineup Milwaukee was throwing out there, Greg Monroe was able to have an impact in this series. Al Horford was thriving, it seems like, decades ago. He had the 22-12-4 game in Game 1, and he was back. And you see, he has still persisted throughout this series with effective play, so I'm not going to get on him too much. But... Uh, it does seem like the Celtics are in a little bit of an identity crisis right now. They don't know which way they're going to go. They're kind of swaying based off the results, and Milwaukee has too. They've totally overhauled their rotations, and it does seem like more of a normal thing for the playoffs now is when things change drastically, there's going to be drastic adjustments made in turn. So where are they going from here, you think, now that the series is 2-2? Are we going to see... Monroe, or are we going to see that uh, rotation that got the Celtics back in Game 4, which was semi Ojale out there with Tatum at the 4. They've played Morris at the 4 quite a bit in the series, too. So what direction are they going to sway in? I think that, like, you know, something that I thought that was, like, really interesting is I've looked up and, um, you know, the Celtics starters have actually outplayed the Bucks starters, um, which, you know, it kind of makes sense when you think about it because, like, this is that what's really killing the Celtics is, you know, their their bench, um, you know, guys like Morris, Shane Larkin, um, Greg Monroe are, like, very negative in the series, like, like in terms of, like, plus minus, um, even though – but they're, but if you look at them individually, some of the lineups that they've been out there with that have them with, you know, starters, like Morris and the starters or Monroe and the starters, those lineups have had a little bit more success. So it's when the Celtics go to these more pure bench units that they really mess up. And that's, you know, and I think that, you know, that's kind of a, a byproduct of the turnovers again. Um, 
I think one thing that's uh, you know would really help is um, if if Marcus Smart was available for Game Five, that would really change the complexion yeah. of this series a lot. Um, just because Shane Larkin, you know, God bless his heart, he's a you know he's a competitor, um, competitor, I guess some might say competitor <laughs> but he uh you know he's just too small and you know especially against this long bucks defense it's an absolute nightmare matchup yeah, he got plowed over on a switch by parker one play i remember yeah and it's just like the you know and it's a big difference to have shane larkin in the post versus hell beast marcus smart in the post you know there's a, mm-hmm. those two those are those are just wildly different things and something else i think marcus smart can really help is just playmaking i mean the celtics Besides Al Horford, they really don't have a lot of playmaking on the roster. Terry Rozier has done a nice job getting those assists, but that's not his, you know, you see Terry Rozier try and make a lob play, and it's clear that, you know, point guard is not really his skill set. He's really more of a small shooting guard, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, you know, it's allowing the Bucks to sort of wall off at the point of attack and send three guys into the paint when the Celtics do get in there low and those backdoor lobs, things like that are open. And, you know, I would like to see Marcus smart kind of get some primary ball handling duties when he comes back and, you know, see if he can, he and Al have a great, um, you know, lob rhythm. And I, I think Marcus could really exploit the bucks when they do, you know, cheat to one side like that, because, you know, the Celtics really haven't been making them pay with that, you know, particularly on these with how hard maker is biting on everything. And, you know, just, how many guys they're showing where, you know, they're basically letting Giannis play free safety out there. So yep. it would, it would, I think that would really help to, you know, just get some bigger, more steady playmaking when it makes sense. Cause they've just, everyone's injured. And when this episode drops, Marcus Smart's going to be seeing the doctor and he is questionable for game five, which blew up Twitter and for right reasons, because he is a guy they've missed so much on both ends of the floor for all the reasons you said. And the fact that he's just another guy who can fit in in those smaller lineups. And that does seem that's where I think this series is going is that by game seven. And I do think this is going seven games now. Hard to think it won't. They're just going to be running small lineups right at each other. And whatever team is going to be stretching the floor better creating space better is going to take this one and we'll see where that goes with much smarts return. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see just because I, I think Giannis is one of the underrated hothead guys in the NBA. Like he, like he, cause he's so like off the court, he's got such a joyful demeanor and he's mm-hmm. so happy, but on the court, like he, he lets the game get away from him sometimes like in his temper and stuff. And I just feel like Marcus smart is custom built to sort of do some chicanery there to you know, kind of make Giannis lose his temper a little bit. So that, that's something something else uh, you know I'll, I'll be looking for but i really think you know I, you got to think jason tatum's gonna get going at some point um i don't know when but i, I can't imagine the self they're just going to be able to keep putting brogdon and tony snell on him with no consequences because that's the other you know kind of thing that's jumping out to me especially with jalen brown stepping up the way he has and game three was a complete wash we don't have to really get into that one too much but game four did have some interesting topics out of it the lineups of course i think you're gonna see smart in the role that semi ojale did in that lineup that pushed the 20 to 6 run to get them back in it tatum mm-hmm. at four i think is really interesting because mm-hmm. that's a role he started in early on this year and didn't quite persist throughout the year. They started going bigger, and that just 
carried on throughout the year and Morris would get spurts at that four spot, but they kind of threw away that small ball four for the most part this year, and now it's making a little bit of a comeback. So it's good to see him out there with a little bit of a support from some muscle, like Semi mm-hmm. or Smart. Yeah. He needs it out there because those battles at the four can still be tough even in small ball. The biggest storyline out of game four was the last shot Morris took, the play that set it up. Jared Weiss had a big piece on that. I think we probably covered it as well a little bit. What did you think of that play? A lot of people were ripping it today. If if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, you know, I I think um, Jared had asked uh, Brad after the after the um, game, and you know, got this full story. And you know, it was designed to be a, a Terry Rozier three for the win, but the Buff Bucks had you know kind of sniffed it out. So you know, uh, a busted play, you know, is a, is a busted play. You know, you got to kind of credit the Bucks, and you know, in that case, I guess. Uh, you know, Marcus Morris taking it isn't the worst thing in the world, but you know, I, I think it's it's probably a little bit more of a testament to how spoiled we are with Brad Stevens' play calling. <laughs> you know, when, when the when the Celtics do botch a you know seemingly botch a, a playoff call like this, that you know we all, myself included, get you know pretty mad about it. I'm I'm not too worried about it as like a indictment of Brad or anything. I think you just gotta kind of tip your hat to Milwaukee's. Um, defense for you know figuring it out correctly um the action and then you know you know doing what they had to do um you know i think a good way to not be in that situation at the end of the game was to turn the ball over you know a million times i think that you know the much you know that was you know they could have had those two points back if marcus morris didn't roll the ball we're gonna play morris yeah i'll no i'll excuse him from i'll excuse him from that one but man that that was bad that Turnover. He's there's like a, a pretty staggering stat that he and Monroe have 16 turnovers in the series, and I think four assists, three assists. Like, it's yeah, not great. Monroe's rotating in slow motion. It's bad. It's been mm-hmm. widely noted, and he is having a tough time on the defensive end still, which has been a consistent throughout his Celtics tenure. And I'll, I'll give him credit. The guy goes hard. He definitely mm-hmm. has. And intensity on the defensive end, but just not the footwork, not the speed to yeah. match it. And he's going to be tough to play the rest of this series. Yeah, I, th- I don't think either both Morris and you know Monroe; those guys clearly care. You know, I- I'd rather those guys do what they're doing now, where it's you know it's more like a wild, frenetic energy that you know they want to contribute and they want to help, and you know the heat of the moment, and they're you know doing what they have to do. It's up tempo, it's energy, but it's just you know it's not being there, and they're turning the ball over. And I think that. You know, kind of. That's this isn't necessarily what you know, the Celtics need in this series. But do you think that you know, Bobby? I want to ask you. Do you do you feel like because this is something I kind of know? Do you feel like that they, um, you know, the Bucks sort of having a history with Monroe having him on the team? Do you think that's kind of working against him as well? Because it seems like they kind of you know they know his bag of tricks a little bit, and that seems to. You know, they seem to be guarding him a little better with some of that stuff. It, it can hurt, absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny that we were ask, I, we were asking early on whether they would have taken Monroe back for the series early on in exchange for Bledsoe because of how poorly he was playing. And he has reversed the trend, too. And I'll give that team credit. I couldn't name the coach of them going into this. I probably should as a guy who covers the NBA, but I couldn't. And no. Prenti has done a nice job. <laughs> he has. And I, yeah. I, I wonder, too, has he outcoached Stevens in this? And I know Stevens has only had a handful of personnel to choose from. 
But the key adjustment in this series so far has been bringing Maker into the fold. And Brad had a little bit of a mini adjustment with small ball in game four, but they still lost the game. My my thing is, uh, you know, you Prunty doesn't get credit for that when it took John Henson getting hurt to, you know, insert Tom Curse. So I will. And there's I, also the I'll, fact that he just wasn't playing those guys to begin with in Boston, which was a brutal mistake. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I also, also, you know, I, I credit Joe Prunty for some of his other work, though. I think I think he did a good job trying to outlaw the X Men, um, but you know, <laughs> other than that, he's been. You know, it's it's been downhill since he joined the NBA and got out of the U.S. Senate. So I, you know, it's good to see him at least out there. You know, trying some stuff. I think this is this is a Bucks team that's going to be scary when they get a real coach. You know what I'm saying? I think I think this is more. I think the Bucks resurgence should probably be credited a little bit more to their you know talented guys sort of finding themselves. Um, and yep. you got to kind of you know you got to credit. You know, the, we kind of forget how young this Bucks team is, you know what I'm saying, up and down the lineup. Middleton is really the only key player who's, you know, I would kind of consider a veteran at this point. You know, guys like Maker, I guess Bledsoe has been around the NBA for a while as well. But, you know, guys like Bledsoe, Thon McCurry. Fairly new um, to the team, though. Parker, yeah. I mean, these guys haven't had much of a chance to play together. Uh, you know, they're all pretty young. This is, you know, one of the more talented teams in the East. And I think it's it's probably bad luck that the Celtics, you know, as always the name of the game in Celtics season, that the you know, they're catching them when they're getting healthy, you know, they're getting Brogdon back, you know, and that removes guys like Sterling Brown from the rotation. You know, I think this is kind of the Bucks are sort of a little bit late, but you know, on the fly in a playoff series, morphing into kind of who we thought they were going to be, you know, for the whole season. I think this was the Bucks team that everyone expected to see. And it just took, you know, sort of the playoff crucible and that ratcheted intensity um, to, you know, kind of bring this out of them. Yeah, and we ripped into them rightfully so last week, and I'm going to give them credit now, especially for the drafting. I don't think they get enough credit for the amazing drafting they've done over the last mm-hmm. five, six years when it comes to Giannis, how late they picked him in that draft. Maker, he hasn't panned out so far, but if it's going to happen in the first round of the playoffs, you'll take it. Brogdon, mm-hmm. a second-round rookie of the year. Middleton, they didn't draft, but a good trade to get him in there out of Detroit. And then... You go as far down as um... you can. You can keep going. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, Parker, Parker too. Parker, Parker. Like, um, you know, he hasn't panned out, but I. But this is more of an injury, you know, thing than anything. It's gonna yeah. be. It's gonna be fascinating to see how his contract negotiations play out this year. It's crazy that he's, you know, already at the point where he was entering restricted free agency, and you know, it's funny to think about, you know. How many Celtics fans on draft night would have drove Marcus Smart to the airport if we could have had Jabari Parker instead of, you know, Marcus <laughs> They're both Smart. In similar boats, it feels like, going into their restricted free agencies. Yeah. I just, I, yeah, I just feel like um, I, I would not be surprised if Marcus Smart got more money than Jabari Parker. That's going to be my, uh, my my hot take. But um, I, I don't know. I, I think that, um, you know, this is a Buck squad that, like, God, if they just didn't trade away some draft picks with their, you know, that the weird Grievous Vasquez move they made a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, they whiffed a little bit on Rashad Vaughn, but they've, you know, they've hit on a lot of these other guys, and you know, I think, I think Thon, Thon McCurr is going to be like a really good player. I may, yeah, I may, I may, you know, 
jokes about his age, but, you know, he really is still a very young kid and, you know, he's learning the game, you know, at an increasing rate. Everything they say about him is, you know, he's, he's one of these guys I think the Celtics would have liked to have get, like, cause you just, everything you hear about him is he's, you know, such a hard worker and such a nice kid and, um, you know, just so humble. And those, those guys have a way of like making it if they care about the game. And you can tell Domaker really cares about the game when he's parking the ball in the second tier <laughs> over and over again, just an absolute monster in the paint. So this is a Bucks team that's, you know, really coming along. But, you know, I think I still think the Celtics where they healthy would handle them pretty handily. But it's just, you know, you got to work with what you got to work with, you know. Absolutely. So two more topics I want to hit today. The first of them is uh, Jason Tatum's play in this series. You've dove into that a little bit, his first playoff series, his introduction to the postseason, many of them ahead, I would say. Mm -hmm. You went back and forth on whether they need more from him. Jalen Brown has been an A-plus. I think anyone would agree Mm -hmm. on that. But there's been spurts of struggle from the field for Tatum. How would you gauge his play so far? I would say his play has been downright Marcus Smart-esque, which I, I, I'm not sure what, if I mean that as a compliment or not. Like if you look at um, – there's a there's a, they had Twitter account NBA Math has a really interesting thing where they use um, – they calculate TPA, which is um, total points added. It's basically a measure of, uh, you know, offensive and defensive efficiency and how much they estimate, you know, a player to be worth. Um, and if you look at on these graphs where – Jason Tatum is rating out. He's like pretty much an average player for the series, but he's way behind on the offense. Like his offense is terrible, but his defense is way up there. And it's because of these just he's just turned himself into almost sort of like a, a Giannis light without the scoring, just in his ability to sort of <laughs> He's you know, Marcus Smart and Giannis. He's everything. He's everything. And that's, you know, he's just been, he like the, the Celtics, the reason the Celtics have stood a chance in this series is they've absolutely just smashed Milwaukee on the glass. That's the one thing that has not changed. Yes. And, why I and Aaron Baines has been very good in that capacity. He deserves some credit. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, what a quick, quick tangent on Aaron Baines. I love Aaron Baines because Aaron Baines will get postered nine times a game and just <laughs> not care, just not care. Like Aaron Baines is like poster proof. He could, you could like show him Twitter clips. He's just like a jolly guy who's just out there. Like, you know, he looks like he'd be in like Jon Snow's Wildling Army, and he's out there trying to like block. You know, he will contest all the shots, and you know he's gotten his hands on some of them. You know, he he's jammed up some of Giannis's dunk attempts, but those don't get played. You know, nine times on Sports Center yep. on ultra slow mo, but. Uh, just the, the Celtics rebounding is what's been just absolutely phenomenal for them in this series. And I think that that's very consistent. Um, it's been consistent over the four games. It's one of the few things that's been consistent for the Celtics. And why I still think they have a really good chance to win this series with some of Milwaukee's hot three point shooting and the turnovers, if they just, you know, get that under control. And Jason Tatum has been a big part of that, you know, rebounding in these small ball lineups with him and Al Horford out there, you know, finding ways to get in there on the glass, Jalen Brown doing this as well, helping out from the two guard spot. And he's just had um, a lot of steals, um, a lot of blocks for him, you know, he's and just being in the right place and being disruptive um, in a series where the Celtics really need that. So, you know, on the one hand, there's that, but on the other hand, you know, this is a guy who, offensively was just so lethal throughout the year and you know we really saw it at the end of the year that he sort of you know turned back into you know what he was during that initial Celtics win streak where he looked like you know a rookie of the year candidate told you know Simmons and Mitchell really took off and he sort of settled in at third place and this is what 
we're going to expect of him, you know, going forward is, you know, I, I think is is to be like, you know, sort of this smooth Paul Pierce, you know, style scorer who's got, you know, a whole bag of tricks and all these moves. And, you know, you see it sometimes there was that incredible reverse he had where he was like eight feet by the basket and just threw it up over his shoulder off the glass. To, yeah, he'll you know, go wide and left and finish right from like a very far angle. And yeah. I, I was high on him coming out of the draft. You weren't so much, but I think we were both <laughs> stunned at the fact that <laughs> you're never going to live that one down, no, unfortunately. No. I'm done. That's all right. You take it, Al. This is the, the game it takes. I've retired from the draft. Danny H has owned me in like 13 straight drafts. I didn't like the Jalen Brown pick. I didn't throwing like it back to that Parker draft, he wanted Embiid, too, if we look back on it. So if they were in position, yep. they probably would have won that draft, too. But anyway... Yeah. I, Think about the fact that this guy is going to be the perfect four for the future of this league. It, he's so mm-hmm. tall. He's taller than they list. I guarantee that. Mm-hmm. And the way he blocks shots around the rim, the length, and then stretching the floor on the offensive end, he brings you everything you need on both ends of the floor. So now the fact that he's making up for some of his offensive struggles with the defense, like you talked about, is just incredible. And he's still knocking down the three at a high rate, which we forget was the other concern of his coming out of college. So both of the biggest concerns we had from him out of Duke have turned into his biggest strengths in this series. So that is something to behold, a big positive with Brown's growth and just the experience they're going to get. Now, that's why I want to see them go to the next round is get five, six, seven extra games under their belt as a team. Marcus Smart back in there will also help. But should we expect the Celtics to win this series? I don't Expect is like a strong word. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's a three-game series at this point, and the Celtics do have home court. Um you know, they got to take care of the ball. I think particularly if Smart comes back and he does, you know, he looked like the Marcus Smart he was when he, you know, came back from his fight with the picture frame um, earlier this year. I think, you know, he will, we'll see him, you know, I, I think the Celtics should be the favorites, especially if Marcus Smart comes back because, you know, Shane Larkin has just been abysmal in terms of, you know, plus minus, I think just because that size really does not, it's not really Shane's fault. This is just not the series for him. Um, so, to have Marcus Smart in there and kind of, you know, plugging up these, you know, that Band-Aid thing, I think these tight games will sort of swing in the favor of the Celtics, especially if they can continue to control the glass the way they have. And they, you know, do some minor adjustments like, you know, maybe utilizing pump fakes a little bit more to get Thon Maker in the air because he's biting on everything, you know, or mm-hmm. things like that. I, I think I think Celtics fans, in spite of, the, you know, how bad that Game 4 loss was, I think the Celtics fans should still feel um, – pretty good um going into uh game five i think if celtics lose game five that's when you kind of start to panic but i'm still i'm still pretty optimistic i still give the celtics you know a 60 40 edge to win this series just because what they've been doing seems to be more sustainable to me than what the bucks have been doing yeah i'm I'm still leaning toward the fact that they should win it i'm I'm in that department i'm gonna stay over there i want that extra series even though it's probably not going to mean much i i think the experience helps you still have Al Horford, who has played very well here, and that is a very important factor. Jalen Brown has not matched Giannis's greatness, but he's very close the way he's played mm-hmm. so far in this series. So even though the personnel is gone, the depth isn't there, there's still plenty of talent on this team. Marcus Morris has underperformed a little bit, as we've talked about. And the 2 nothing lead 
you had that 2 nothing lead in this series, so that's still something I look to and say I'll just be a little bit disappointed if they aren't able, able to close this. Now, the expectations aren't there for this team to make a deep run without Irving Hayward. I understand that. I've gone into it with Snotty Dripping about that a little bit, but it's the series, Milwaukee, all the trash talk we had about them last week, the position the Celtics put them in early with the dominance they were showing... I just don't think it would be the greatest look if they regress to the point where they lose this series and lose it bad. If they lose in six, as the Bucks fans are chanting out there, you know the national media is going to get into them, but I might have to get into them a little bit too. So we'll see where this goes. Yeah, I, I think the Celtics will really be in trouble You know, if they lose this first-round series going forward. They're going to have to figure out a way to add um, you know, two all-stars, to that playoff rotation <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, there you maybe go. some the top rebuttal. draft picks. Yeah. So I think if, I think if the Celtics, you know, that, that, that's, that's my panic move, you know, that I, I just, I just don't see how the Celtics could add to. So I'll, I'll throw one more topic in the <laughs> okay. segment now, if we're going to take that approach to next year, because <laughs> okay. Cleveland, they're not in trouble anymore. Cause they tied the series two two. That was a missed opportunity for Indiana the other day, uh, but the oh, East seems up in the air. Oh, my God. Does if it? you had to oh. pick a team who was going to win the East right now, and you probably have an idea of who I'm thinking of right now, but if you had to pick a team to win the East right now, who would it be? I, God, see, I, my, my brain says Philly, but I am, I am a, I, I'm at war. Uh, if the Celtics play Philadelphia in the next round, I will die um, in the posting wars of, <laughs> of seven. Sixers Twitter is going to light me on fire. I'm, I'm probably going to go to a game in Philadelphia just to, see, just to see if I can be one of the fatalities in the rioting in down the there. War. Yeah, the soldier who died the war. But I don't know. I still, I know the, I know the Wizards. This things has been a thing, but I, I still kind of believe in the the Raptors. Um, I think that the Raptors have been the best team in the East. They've had the best point differential all year. Um, they still have some, you know, top shelf talent. Um, they've, you know, they've been in enough playoff series before. I know they've lost them, but they also have the requisite experience. I just don't think Cleveland, you know, I think it's pretty clear, especially with Kevin Love looking injured, that Cleveland has the, you know, the dogs to run in this race. Um, they might get past Indiana, but I, I just, I, I don't see them beating Toronto. And then I don't see, you know, Philly or, you know, I even, you know, maybe the Celtics or the Bucks or the Heat even, you know, whoever comes out of that other side, I, I just don't think that Toronto just has so many options. They can go big, they can go small, um, they can shoot the three, they can play whatever style needs to be played, and they have, um, you know, the star power, the experience. It just feels like it's kind of things have lined up for them this year. And if, if that's what you're going with, that's what you have to hope for because Toronto could be the team that's just in the finals this year and then that's the end of their run But just mm-hmm. because of the nature of where they're at and their development. If Philly makes the finals this year, that's a whole other story. And then there's momentum toward the LeBron free agency. If it's not LeBron, there's other big fish out there for them to grab. And for the people who are like, all right, we're running this back in Boston with all the all-stars, another draft pick the year after that, Philly's progression might put a hold on that and that's been my fear of mine all year long so that is the biggest story to watch for the rest of these playoffs besides how far the Celtics can hold out yeah it's it's gonna be fun you know just to kind of see the Celtics 
Celtics Sixers hasn't really been a rivalry since back way back. You know, you got to really turn the clock back. But um, you know, we had like uh, Dr. J and you know Larry just slugging each other. <laughs> um, so that's like you know, it's it's very old school a rivalry. But you know, it's going to be a real fun rivalry. You know, division rivals. So, you know, that doesn't happen too often. You know, the the Atlantic Division has been in a pretty sorry state. Uh, you know, pretty much since the early 2000s. So to have you know two powerhouses sort of rise at the same time. Um, it's going to be interesting. You know, if Philly does get that big free agent, they're going to lose J.J. Redick, who I think is important to their spacing. Um, it's going to be yeah, interesting to see how the guys fit in. You might have with LeBron their... in his place, which won't hurt too much. <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know. We'll see. Like, what's, what, how did Ben Would you trade J.J. Like, Redick for LeBron James? I, I would. I would. But um, it, but I'm just saying, like, you know, Philly, Philly kind of needs that spacing i wonder what the, i'm gonna be really interested to see what philly does with that um you know draft cap space and you know what happens with their free agent if they kind of you know kick the can down the road one more year um you know to see what markel fultz turns into he's kind of the one that i think everyone's almost forgetting about a little bit um mm-hmm. um you know but their their draft chest is pretty much empty they've pretty much used uh, everything this lakers pick is their you know, kind of last chance to, to get something nice out of it. Um, and the Celtics are just going to keep having, you know, great picks. They could have, you know, the Celtics could end up having like three picks uh, or in the top 15 in 2019. So, and one of them could be two. So, and if they do uh, you know, they kick so, back the candle, this is all a conversation for another show. That helps out too. We'll throw this one back to the off season. We'll talk to you about it then. But for now, playoff analysis with the guy who does it best, Sam Sheehan. Bobby, thanks for having me. That's episode 35. We'll see you when this series concludes. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden. Mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.